a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Alpine Stars Protects on RacerXOnline.com. your continued support of our sponsors we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads click that amazon banner on pole mx to help us out and donate via patreon if it suits you and as always enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us original moto podcast featuring legends of the past stars of today season previews and race reviews introspection opinion facts and laughs here's your host steve mathis welcome everybody to the fly racing racer x podcast i'm steve mathis thank you for listening Appreciate it. Racer X podcast. Been really good lately. Been really banging out a lot of interesting and great guests. And I'm glad you guys are around for the ride. So thank you. I know you have a choice in podcasts these days. And I'm happy that you chose to listen to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast by Steve Mathis. Uh, FlyRacing.com. Please check them out on the web. Uh, Formula Helmet out now. Beautiful helmet. Lightweight. Good for low speed stuff. Good for high speed stuff. They've put millions of dollars, or at least a million, into this helmet to develop it, and uh, they're very, very proud of it. So please check it out. If you're looking for a high-end, ultimate do-it-all helmet, this could be the one you're looking for, Fly Racing Formula Helmet. And also, to Zach Osborne, where's Fly Racing? He has a podcast, Shifting Gears. It is on the Pulp MX Network. So our buddy Zach that wears Fly Racing and wears the Formula Helmet has a podcast. His latest pod is with Thomas Covington. So please check that out. Lots to uh, get to. It's its own feed. It's its own podcast. So go Find Shifting Gears podcast, subscribe to that, and uh, let us know what you think, all right? So thanks to Fly Racing. Thank you, Maxxis Tires, MXST, developed by the king, Jeremy McGrath. Great mountain bike tires also. If you're looking for mountain bikes, mountain bike tire, please look at Maxxis. AJ Catanzaro running the MXST and making main events. The cat dominated the LCQ, and it was fantastic, and he did it on MXSTs. Also, Alpine Stars, the Tech 10, the most advanced boot in motocross today. Simply put, Alpine Stars protects... And the newest guys on our products, uh, on our line, Slick Racing Products, man, they are fantastic. Monster Energy Pro Circuit uses these to wash all their bikes, so you know that uh, it's quality. After all, they used a ton of it probably after San Diego. They have a simple three-step wash process. Slick Products guarantees your bike will look great after every wash. Head to SlickProductsUSA.com, use a discount code STEVE at checkout to get 20% off their wash kits. STEVE is the code at SlickProductsUSA.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. Thanks to Slick. Thanks to Maxis. Thanks to Alpine Stars. Most of all, thanks to Fly Racing. Here's Greg Fox. Very interesting guy. Can't wait for you guys to listen. And if you get down with this and you like it, search the Pete Fox podcast. All right? On to the show. And as I, as I was saying on the uh, on the intro, uh, a guy I wanted to uh, really, really talk to and looking forward to doing this podcast, just like I have so many other ones with sort of giants of the industry, uh, looking forward to this one, folks. Uh, Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Greg Fox. What's up, Greg? How are you, man? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Good to meet you uh, yeah. at uh, Oakland. Yeah, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I was, uh, I was in an elevator with you and your dad, of course, uh, Jeff, the founder of Fox Racing, and uh, 
He's like, I recognize your voice. And I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe this is a writer's dad that's mad at me or something. <laughs> but uh, no, it wasn't. So it was really cool to meet you and your dad. Yeah, I actually, uh, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts um, over the years. Uh, I I tend to listen to the ones that are kind of industry related mm -hmm. stuff, especially our, my old competitors. I love to hear their perspective of, uh, of you know, what, yeah. you know, what the competition was like on their from their viewpoint yeah uh jim hale of course so we just lost him a little while ago fantastic podcast uh, eddie cole john gregory uh i'm with you i actually love doing those also those are some of my favorites yeah of all those uh industry giants i never really knew um on a personal level any of them mm -hmm. I, I did meet jen, john gregory when i was a young kid um but uh yeah it was it was kind of like uh you know, you're in your own camp, uh, yeah. focusing on on your own company, and and you're aware of what they're doing, but mm -hmm. you don't talk to them because they're the, they're the competitor. Right? Yeah, it's it's especially that time in moto, like you guys were such giants. There was less companies around. I felt like back then, right? There was there was less uh, less giant clothing industries, less giant distributors. Um, it was a, a big pie that only a few companies were really getting a piece of, right? And it was competitive. That's true. Yeah, yeah, it was for sure. And we were the you know, we were the small guy, um, and uh, you know, we looked. Up, you know, honestly, we, I looked up to, uh, you know, JT especially. They mm -hmm. were the iconic company when I was growing up, and uh, you know, my heroes um, as a kid. You know, Marty Smith and Rock Lever, um, uh, Danny Laporte. You know, they all wore JT, so I yeah. tended to, to, you know, take take special notice on what they were wearing and how they were marketing them. Right, right. Um, I saw you in Oakland. Obviously, you were there watching the race. How much do you follow it? How much do you keep up with it nowadays? Are you, are you sitting by the TV every night, every every Saturday night, or how much are you are you into the sport? Uh, I do watch. Uh, I've been watching every Supercross this year. Um, in fact, the the last race I watched uh, with my brother Pete and uh, Tommy Rios, um, okay. an old friend. Yeah, uh, we sat on the couch and and watched uh, watched. Minneapolis, or no? That was uh, that was Texas, right? Uh, Dallas, then Detroit. Oh, Detroit. Yeah, yep. sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. They all blend together for me too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I bet. Uh, sometimes I stop my post race interviews. I'm like, here we are, and uh, and I gotta think like, where the hell? What city is this? You know, what stadium is this? Um, I bet. What's it like? So you're on the board. Uh, of course, uh, uh, your dad founded it. You and your brother Pete, and uh, your other brother whose name escapes me right now uh john john everyone knows him as scrap scrap that's john. it i knew he had a name a weird name not a weird name but whatever <laughs> um you guys uh built this iconic brand into this uh giant you sold it off you were on the board of directors for a while but from what i understand yourself pete uh everyone else kind of removed from it now and that to me is fascinating because this is that fox head is something you guys created that coolness factor that brand is what you guys created your sweat into it what is it like completely removed from it and the decisions and, and the direction and you're sitting i don't know what is that like i i couldn't imagine someone taking over pulp mx you know what i mean like it's, it's got to be weird it's a little weird but uh you know obviously i still you know love the brand and the company and yep. um you know i'm rooting for rocks in the wind uh and uh i take note of you know what everyone's gear looks like on the racetrack um you know i've still got a fox tattoo on my my back <laughs> yeah so um 
but uh, it, it is a you know it's not you know I'm not waking up at three in the morning thinking about the business like yep. Uh, yep. like I did for many years. Um, yeah, and, and and I guess yeah, yeah, you're just like, hey, there's there's the thing we created, and now we're over here, and 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 good luck, everybody. Good good luck to Fox. Hope you win, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. that's that's uh, that's got to be a strange, I would think, but I guess you get used to it after a little while. Um, what uh, growing up, what's your first memory of Fox Racing? Like your dad and your and the brother uh, Bob uh, Fox Shocks. Bob was doing the shocks. Your dad was doing the clothing. First memory for you of like working, I guess, packing boxes or doing doing something. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first—I don't know if my brother covered this, but the first job my dad ever gave us was uh, he had he had at the time. This is back in '74. The the main the number one grip in the industry was Ori grips, um, and uh, my dad had basically knocked off the Ori grip <laughs> and paid a bunch of money for a mold. And they would come the, the grips would come out of the mold with with excess rubber hanging off of them. Okay. And uh, so you couldn't really sell them that way because they, they they didn't look finished. So he would, uh, you know, summer vacation, um, he would take us down to the to the to the business, and uh, there'd be a a barrel full of these grips. And our job was to to tear the excess rubber <laughs> off the grips <laughs> one by one. Yep. And he, he paid us a penny a grip, and uh, <laughs> so I, I did the math. I, I set my watch and and. Um, we could do about a hundred grips in an hour. So, so we were making about a buck an hour. Oh, geez. Um, so yeah, that was my first memory. And how um, old, how old are you at this point? Do you think? Uh, I was nine. At nine. The time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He was seven. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my first job. I ended up doing, uh, almost everything you could possibly do in the business. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, every summer, um, it would be a different department that I get put into. So one summer I would be, you know, uh, my job would be, keeping track of inventory uh, then the next summer i'd be put in the call center and mm-hmm. I'd be answering phone calls from dealers um packing boxes um unloading containers you name it i did it i worked in accounting oh uh, wow yeah I, uh, at a young age i was i was doing and it was it was it was fun you know it was uh, i was getting paid of course but it was you know i knew everybody and uh, you know, it was a small business at the time it was maybe 15 20 employees and um yeah, it was a great way to kind of get my my to to learn how yeah. a business operates. Um, yeah, absolutely, right. So obviously, your dad did that on purpose, right? And Pete was probably off drawing stuff and designing stuff, right? Is that is that how it works? Actually, at that time, he wasn't yet uh, okay. given the creative reins. Um, <laughs> but I, I honestly think it, you know, we had my there's four kids in the family, and Pete and I were the the oldest too. So I, I honestly think it was. My mom wanting us out of the house during, you know, but she's got the other two kids. So she would, you know, tell my dad, hey, t- take these kids to work and yeah. get them out of here. Right. And so that that's where we were. Oh, that's crazy. So <laughs> as you as you age, of course, Fox is growing. Um, there's the, the motocross uh, Fox uh, team for a little while there. Barnett. Um, uh, who else? Pat Richter was on it, I think. There's, there's a, Steve Wise. Steve, yeah, those three. Yeah, it was uh, – kind of a like almost people don't realize that that was peak pro circuit before right it, it maybe didn't get as much publicity as it in but it was it was a team look it was it was and it was uh um you know the the team look was really to market the shock absorbers at the time mm-hmm. and uh the, there was no intention of of selling jerseys and and race pants and gloves etc it was really just trying to, to sell the fox air shocks um so kind of by accident, you know, the phone started ringing uh, with 
with customers wanting, uh, you know, the Team Fox mm-hmm. gear. And uh, that's really how we got started in the, in the gear business. Uh, and that first race team, you know, I, I remember going to Hangtown to the opener, which Richter almost won. Um, and following, you know, I would, I would sit in my dad's office and, and read Cycle News um, every week and follow the series. Back then, getting race results was difficult. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, the, the mechanic, Chuck Tanlin, would call my dad uh, you know, late Sunday at our house to tell him you know, how the team did. And I would be listening, you know, uh, eavesdropping in on the conversation, even yeah. at a young age like that. And then uh, my dad took my brother and I out to, um, to the last national that year in 77, um, the famous Let Brock By race. Oh, okay. I was there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, um, uh, I still remember Richter actually got, got hurt in that national. And, uh, and so my dad gave him my plane ticket <laughs> to come back to California. And he told me that I had to ride, uh, with the mechanic in the truck back to California. No way. From Texas. Yeah. Had that really happened? He really did. That really happened. Yeah. I think I was 11 years old. <laughs> you got, the, the rider was more important, son. We really got to get him back. Yeah, that was back before, when you can, you could fly on someone else's ticket. Of course, that changed. I know. I flew on someone else's ticket in 99, and I look back, and I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe I did that. I just had his ID that he looked totally different than I did. He had a mustache and everything, and I just had his ID, and just like, okay, here you go, kid. I'm just like, wow, that was a crazy <laughs> time. Um, yeah. So at some point, like the, I remember the early ads, uh, it was Graham Noyce was a big Fox guy over in Europe. Of course, this was when you know European motocross was still – looked at as, as the number one. Uh, Barnett was coming up, and you guys kind of lucked out with Barnett as far as he was the man, you know, got a factory Suzuki ride, moved up, started winning right away, and that to me is when motocross Fox, Fox gear, really came into its own and started becoming something. For sure. You know, Mark Mark was the guy that really put us on the map. Um, you know, he, I remember uh, when he got his Suzuki offer, mm-hmm. um, he didn't, you know, this is back before the days of managers. So he yeah. asked my dad to help him neg- negotiate with Suzuki. So my dad and I drove down to La Brea um, yeah. and, uh, you know, to the Suzuki uh, operation. And, and uh, I remember sitting there in the car because he didn't want me to go in. <laughs> I would have been weird, a little kid yeah, going yeah, into exactly that. exactly right. So I sat in the car and waited for them to come out. And Mark came out with a big smile, of course, yeah, because uh, that was his first you know, factory deal. And we, uh, we, um, you know, he was he was the face of our gear. And, uh, you know, we, at the time, um, my dad's marketing of the brand was really trying to make Fox be – um, our gear was was price conscious, okay. so um, it was kind of we started kind of as a low end brand, um, and uh, that was actually something that you know when when you think of the you know, influence of my brother Pete and myself mm-hmm. um, later on, that was something we consciously wanted to change when we entered the business is we wanted to go uh, up against the, you know JT at the time and try to try to be a premier brand. So who um yeah Pete tells a story. Of course I did some podcasts with Pete. People please check him out on the archives search Pete's name or or Fox on, on the archives on the Pulp app or on iTunes and you can listen to those. Yeah, you he tells a great story of of he loved RJ and in 84 RJ was wearing Cinesalo. Still Bomber was still good, but getting near the end and you know, he loved RJ and simply signed RJ when he was like 15. And, and that was the start of trying to make 
you guys, I think you and Pete, trying to design things a little different, trying to make it look a little different, like you said, trying to elevate the brand. Is that kind of how you remember it too? It is. I was, uh, um, I was actually at UCSB at the time. I was in college, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I remember you know, I went to. I was there when when my dad and and Pete met RJ at Washougal back in '84, and started discussions with them. So in '85, when he was writing for us, I was actually not in the business. I was in school. Pete mm-hmm. was Pete was there full time. I think he was maybe a senior in high school <laughs> <Yes>. at the time. <laughs> um, but I would get you know cycle news every week, and yeah. uh, and I was probably the only college student getting cycle news. Um, and, you know, so when I, I actually decided at the end of my second year at school, I, I, I just had the fever to get into the business mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, kind of do what Pete was doing at the time. And, and so, you know, I, I told my dad, I said, I, you know, I want to drop out and, uh, and come to work, you know, in the family business. And, yeah. um, and he said, he said, okay, but you, you know, it's not, I'm going to make you work up from the bottom. So, <laughs> which is, which is yeah. cool, right? I mean, I, looking back on it, that's way cool. It is what, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I look back at my 30 year career there as a full time employee. Um, and, you know, not with nothing but, you know, satisfaction. It was just an awesome career to, to, to start, you know, in a small company. Uh, my first real job was actually <laughs> my dad uh, put me in charge of uh, of picking the team. Basically, um, <laughs> you know, he had this big box of of letter. You know, writers back then would would send in letters, yeah, um, requesting sponsorship, and they they'd include you know clippings out of Cycle News and some photos. And he said, "Hey, you know, I don't have time for this. Can you go through this and see if there's any <laughs> writers worth picking up?" So that's actually. That's how I got Donnie Schmidt. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah. yeah, he had his his jumped out on me. I was like, "Whoa, you know, this kid's uh, yeah, you know, number one expert in Minnesota, and he's he's looking for uh, looking- a sponsorship." So I called him up. Wow, how cool is that? Um, did you did you ride and race? Did you try to take it somewhere with riding and racing at all? I, I know Pete didn't. I don't think. But what about you? I did. Uh, I, I, I started, uh, you know, my first bike was, was when I was four, I had a little Honda 50 and then I had, uh, YZ eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, I still remember my first race. My mom didn't want me to go. <laughs> she thought it was too dangerous. And I remember, uh, I remember I, so in the start, the gate dropped and I looped out, <laughs> because uh, I dumped the clutch too quick. And then uh, like three laps into it, I, I knocked myself unconscious. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Mom was great. Mom was stoked on that, huh? Yeah. So I uh, I didn't race again until then. That was my last race until after college. I got I got a 125 Honda and started racing okay. in the mid-'80s. Uh, as a family, we would go. It would be my dad, uh-huh. uh, Pete, me, and my and John. Uh, he would race a 60, and we'd race locally. And I started you know, hanging out with some of the local pros, Rick Ryan and Dean Matson, and some of those fast riders, and and you know, yeah, go, going practicing with them, and and so I got better and better, and I, I started working my way up from you know beginner to junior to intermediate, um, but I I never turned pro, I never, yeah. never was nearly fast enough. Right, yeah, it's, so. it's a story for a lot of us in the industry, right? Um, so obviously NorCal, the whole time you're up in Northern California, the hub of motocross is Southern California. JT is, of course, down in San Diego, and you know that's where the magazines are and everything else. Early on, 
how how did you battle that, or what did you think of that? Obviously, Fox now based in SoCal and everything else, but was it a point of pride to stay up there? Because the reason I say this is because I, I know Dean Matson a little bit. He lives in Vegas here, so I hung out <laughs> with him here and there. And you know, he was always like, "Yeah, we were NorCal." You know, he just exactly that Rick Ryan and himself, uh, the Volden brothers. Yeah, we're NorCal. And there was a sense of a lot of guys up there wore Fox, and I guess, like you said, you knew him, you hung out with him, you guys all liked him. So interesting that that this giant is beginning to stir and make big things up in Northern California. Yeah, you know, I spent a lot of time going down to to Southern California. Of course, you know, I I went to all the, you know, Super Bowls and motocross. (laughs) Um, And I think I went to every Anaheim since the first one um, up until the last couple of years. Carlsbad we'd go to uh, yeah. every year. So um, so I knew the L.A. scene pretty good, the SoCal scene. And, and I honestly, I looked up to the scene and the mm-hmm. riders. I mean, they, the best riders came out of there, and they had tracks everywhere. Um, yeah, it was, of yeah. course, proud to be from NorCal, but right. we kind of had a little bit of a, you know, looking up to SoCal type so of thing. So were you and Pete like, hey, Dad, we got to move down? Dad, Dad, you got to move Fox down? <laughs> I mean, was that was that? No. No? Okay. No, never, never. Never thought about that. So no. when you dropped out of college, came back, what year was this? You'd already signed RJ in 85 uh, on a Yamaha. And, and that gear, by the way, that look in 85 is underrated in the Fox history because um, <laughs> he had his own signature stuff, and he was on the white Yamaha, of course, first year of that. And yep. outside of the roost deflector, which still wasn't very good looking, by the way, Greg. <laughs> it wasn't, uh, no. No. <laughs> outside of that roost deflector, it was a strong look. It was red, black, gold, you know? So... Um, yep. when do you start getting more hands on? So I, I dropped out late 85. So I was 86 was really my, you know, okay. my first year really working full time. So, um, uh, I remember it, it's, I don't know if you remember the RJ 86 look. But, yeah. Um, yeah, of course there was, uh, <laughs> that, that blue with white sleeves uh, yep. at Anaheim one, yep. um, yep. against Bailey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, it was funny. I was, I had been. I've been thumbing through some old uh, some old photos, and there was an old photo of Howerton um, jumping through the peristyle um, from years prior, and he had a, a red jersey with white sleeves. And I showed Pete. I said, "Look, this looks sick," <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that inspired that that jersey that look. Yeah. And it really, uh, you know, Mitch Payton tells a story that RJ that year in '86, RJ picked his pro circuit pipe over the factory pipe. And it, it helped his brand. It, it launched a company. Mike Hooker told me the same thing in a podcast the other day. And and they rode this RJ wave because Rick was a obviously national champion in 84 and a good rider. But getting on a Honda took him to a new level. He became the man. And like Mitch, Fox Racing, I think, benefited from that also, huh? Oh, that was that – was- you know, can't be underestimated how huge that was for mm-hmm. our brand. That that uh, the look of the gear, the the fact that Rick was on a Honda, the fact that he was uh, winning, um, and then his personality. And he was right. the, there's there's never been a rider as marketable as Rick Johnson in the history of the sport, in my opinion. Really, huh? Yeah, you you, you hold it in that that high esteem, that that high. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, for sure. And he was obviously Pete's guy forever. Um, and it was a big deal. And you were you starting to find yourself like like you said you picked Donnie Schmidt out of it out of a, a deal, and he was Factory Suzuki that year. Are you are you starting to have your guys, and Pete's got his guys, and that sort of thing? Yeah, there was a bit of that. Yeah. I mean, I was I was the one twenty five guys were more um, my guys. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I, there was you know, Tishner and Turpin and Rodney Barr and Chicken and yeah, I guess I guess obviously Bradshaw was uh, a little later, but Bradshaw was Pete. Pete actually Rick gets the credit for Bradshaw. <laughs> uh, he I remember him telling me and Pete. He said, "You guys gotta, you guys gotta go see this kid named Damon Bradshaw ride." Yeah, and uh, so we went to Ponca City that summer and. Uh, and watched him. I think he was 13 at the time, maybe uh-huh. 12. And uh, went up and introduced ourselves, and that's that's how we got started with with Damon. It's uh, it's such so. a distinct before and after. Like I can remember the ads for '85 for Rick on a Yamaha, and Barnett was still, you know, uh, well '85 he was on an answer actually. He switched to answer. That must have been heartbreaking. <laughs> Barnett has one year of Kawasaki and one year of answer. Like very very vague, very weird. Yeah, that happens a fair amount actually in the in yeah. sports. Yeah, you know, true. But there's a distinct style of ads that come out in '86, and and Pete's obviously talked about that in in our show uh, that we've done, and you talked about RJ and everything else. And now you and Pete are getting a hold of things. How's Dad? How's Dad at this point? Is he is he letting you kids run with it? Totally. Yeah. You know, he, my dad, uh, was. Um, so supportive of whatever we wanted to do um, and uh, really gave us unbelievable free reign to to make decisions um, I mean you guys are what you're you're, you're 17 you're 18 19 Pete's yeah. 17 yeah like <laughs> yeah and we're going to the we're, we're, we're doing the business yeah I mean he was he was still um, very involved at that time mm-hmm. um, you know the uh, he wrote the computer program that that the, the business ran on, mm-hmm. and he was in the office, you know, full time, of course. But uh, no, he was he was really focused on the back end, and we were we were more on the front end of the business at that point. Um, what was interesting to you, uh, Pete? Like design, Pete? Like the ads? What was interesting to you at this point? Uh, um, you know, as far as b- growing the brand, and what were you getting into a little bit more? Was there, well, a, was there a product um, or something? You know, I was um, my you know Pete, Pete's a, a born artist mm-hmm. and, and very creative, and and I'm not, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I was happy to let him uh, run with that. So I was I really um, was more um, handling the the operational side of business more and more, mm-hmm. taking over. You know, uh, the warehouse reported to me, and um, sales uh, was was mine, both domestic and international. Um, and, um, I was doing forecasting and sourcing wow. <laughs> and, and, and eventually the video production was, was under me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and you're so young yeah. at this point. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, Hey, uh, Hey Greg, we need a distributor in Spain. Uh, you know, we all were young at the time, <laughs> the whole company. I look back at, at Christmas photos from back then and, and there wasn't anyone in the business that was that was over thirty, yeah. except for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so the Roost Two comes out in eighty six. The Comp Boot, I think, in eighty six launches too. Um, and then the Protector gets redesigned, I think, somewhere around this time. And and are these products that are starting to really move for you? Yeah, yeah. The the sales were really picking up. Um, it was hard to keep. You know, keep track, uh, keep abreast of it because the you know, we were constantly sold out, and mm-hmm. um, you know, people started dealers started calling us out of stock Fox, <laughs> 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 um, and you know, 
having worked in the call center and and uh, yeah. known what it's like to tell a customer, oh yeah, I can put that on back order for you, uh, but I don't know what's going to be in stock. You know that that yeah. uh, that sucks. So um, it was constantly trying to keep up with it. And at the time, gear, the, all this stuff was made in Europe. Okay, um, and so it was getting products out of Europe um, timely was very difficult. You know, you would you would contact the factory in Finland and they'd say, well, yeah, okay, we'll ship it, uh, you know, in August. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, they wouldn't give you a date. They'd just say, it'll ship in August. And then August rolls around and, and you know, you send a, a fax to them at the time <laughs> yeah, or a telex. Yeah, right. And, uh, oh, it's been delayed. You know, now it's October. And so, you know, the... And then you'd have to air freight stuff in, and air freighting was so expensive. So um, it was a never-ending. But it was a good thing to, well, to, yeah. to have demand out strip yeah. supply is a good thing. What'd you What'd you say when Pete showed you the zebra stripe pants? <laughs> Were you like, uh, uh, "Yeah, we got to take the reins back from you"? Or <laughs> I I think I was obviously I, I think honestly I was scared of him. I didn't I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have the vision he had there. No. Yeah. <laughs> he, he deserves the credit. Unbelievable so. success though, right? Like uh, Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone attributes those pants to Damon, but actually RJ wore those at Unadilla in yep. uh, I think it was 80 88. Yep. Yeah, 88. The, yeah. F- the summer of 88, he wore them at the USGP, but yeah, Bradshaw yeah, wore them in 89 almost all year. You know? Yep. Yep. Um, it's also those were the the hottest selling pants. We could never keep those in stock. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was nuts. I mean, there was even a a blue and orange version, right? You guys did that at some point. Uh. Yep. Yep. Um. And actually, I was gonna say the whole amateur motocross thing nowadays is out of hand for sure. And there's it's another podcast for another time. But you guys were one of the first ones going back to Bradshaw that I remember putting like an eighty rider in their ads. Like I'm like. Who is like I'm that age, right? I'm Bradshaw's age, and I'm like, uh-huh. who is this kid? Like, how does a kid on a YZ80 make a Fox ad? But you know, you guys were there for him for a long time, and obviously saw what what RJ saw and everybody else. So, yeah, we actually put um, our whole team in the catalogs. Um, there was that was a you know conscious decision on our part mm-hmm. was to to market everybody um, because. For example, putting Donnie Schmidt in the catalog back when he was you know, didn't have a factory ride, uh-huh. everyone in Minnesota knew who he was. Right. And so, and Minnesota's a great market, so you know, put him in there, and the, it's gonna, you know, the yeah. fans in Minnesota are gonna eat it up. The uh, RJ USGP stuff, one red sleeve, one blue sleeve, absolutely amazing. Probably a great seller. That was, yeah, that that was probably second best to the uh, Zebra at no, the, was. in that era. Wow, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what was a product that around this time and even into the 90s that was just amazing for you guys? Was there something that you remember, you know, obviously working into sales that was it those pants? Was it something else? Was it gloves? Was it boots? Chest protector? It was the Roost 2 chest protector was, was, um, that w- that product, if I could total up the total the, the amount of those we sold worldwide yeah. over the ten year lifespan, yep. I don't think there's anything that came close to really generating so, as much revenue as that thing. Yeah, wow, I don't even remember what it so, retailed. What was it retail? Do you remember? Was it? I think it was ninety nine, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just yeah. pumping those out left <laughs> and right. Um, when it comes to the boot, the comp boot, I wore that. So it comes out in what eighty six. That comp two, uh, yeah, yeah, eighty six. 
I'm not kidding you. In 91, I was still wearing a pair. I was just resoling them. I loved them. Uh, of course, <laughs> Those they were great boots. They were great boots, yeah. man. Um, and that's just, is that, that's an Alpine Star boot, right? Like, that's who, what you guys did, or, or was there more to it than that? It, so, uh, in 85, RJ wore our boot, and he, our, our boot at the time, in all honesty, was not a good boot. Mm-hmm. Um, it had three Velcro yeah. straps. Yeah. And, uh, it, it would, it just didn't give you any support. And RJ was complaining all year long, hey, <laughs> got to make a better boot. <laughs> yeah. And so RJ actually said, Hey, you should uh, call this kid named Gabriel. Um, and, uh, from, from Italy, from mm-hmm. Alpine stars. And so, and so I contacted Gabriel or he contacted me. I can't remember which, but we got hooked up and, uh, I went over to Italy and Pete designed it. I, I made the trip to the factory and, and Gabriel was pretty much the same age as me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we hit it off and, he started making our our boots, um, and uh, yeah, the the sales of those were unbelievable. It was a great boot. Yep, it, and, it really was. Yep. But I guess uh, margins would be smaller, right? Because A Stars is making it; they have control over it, right? Yeah, yeah. The margins weren't the greatest, but that's okay. I yeah. mean, sometimes you you, it, it, you have to have a great product. That's mm-hmm. that's the number one thing. Now, business is having a great product. Are you going to all the races at this point, or is Pete going to all of them? Like, how how are you div- dividing that up? We were going to a lot. Yeah, um, I'd probably go to maybe three or four nationals and three or four supercrosses a year. Yeah, um, at least. Uh, but the uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't like it is nowadays where you have someone from your company go to every race, yeah. which is kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, I think back to the to the to the 80s and even into the 90s the riders you know i remember showing up at races and rick would be you know he would have washed his own gear right yeah, yep, yep so uh so he would have maybe three pair of pants and and one for practice and one for each moto and then afterwards he he wouldn't give any away to fans he would take it home and wash it <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's. Re- I don't know what these guys do now. They just drop the gear off, and I guess they go back to check on it. I, I don't really know. It's in then brand new stuff the next weekend. It, it is a little silly. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but you know, uh, when I when I talked to Damon about switching from Fox to Axel, I think it was Jim Hale we can blame because he loved the fact that Jim would have gear for him at every single race. <laughs> he told me that on a podcast, and and Jim would. Uh, give him as much as he possibly wanted, you know, which is what they do nowadays. So we can blame the late Jim Hale, uh, Greg, on that. It sounds like Jim had, you know. Yeah, that, he was on to something. Right, right. <laughs> he, he was like, all right, Damon, yeah, you can have 100 pairs of pants. No problem, you know. I don't no, know. I think back to, you know, when Rick would call me yep. and say, hey, I need I need more pants, and I would send him two pair. You know, <laughs> what was I thinking? I should have sent him 20 pair. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Such a cheapskate. Yeah, your dad was probably on you then still. He was checking things out. What, uh, in this early age, so now things are moving along for Fox, and, you know, uh, again, you got Bradshaw, you got Chicken, you got RJ. Um, you know, you have a lot of riders. JT has gone away a little bit at this point, not the powerhouse they once were. But now, speaking of, of Jim, it's Axo now that, that is starting to grab some market share, huh? Yeah, yeah, they kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and before that, you know, I was still paying attention to JT and mm-hmm. and uh, and Axo came in. And they really, had, they had great product. Uh, they didn't really have 
great product and really slick ads. Yeah. Um, they didn't really have any riders. I mean, I think Willie Surratt maybe was their yeah. <laughs> number one rider. Um, uh, oh, um, didn't they have uh, – oh, their name's escaping me now. They, Jim Holly maybe? No, Holly was O'Neill Holly was O'Neill, yeah. Holly was O'Neill forever. Yeah. Uh, I forget who – yeah, there was a guy, though. You're right. The, 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 they had like a model, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the guy even rode dirt yeah, bikes. Yeah, it was probably Matson. It was probably Dean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, it, well, you know what it was too, like whatever, was that twill or what was that material that they made, that they came out with pants that were like the shiny material? I don't even know what it was. Uh, yeah. You remember, it, you know what I'm talking I don't about? Remember, yeah, I, yeah, we yeah. would call it twill, but I don't know if that's a te- really the right word for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, it was made, uh, a lot of it was made by AXO in Italy, but then some of it was also made in, in Finland, I remember. Mm-hmm. So. Um, did you and Pete, okay, so you guys are different, uh, different personalities, different aspects of the company that you guys were helping to grow and, and being successful. What did you guys battle over the most? What were some of the, some of the topics or signing riders or, or what would, what would you guys get at each other for? Because I can imagine I have a brother, an older brother and yeah, we have our differences, right? So, what, what was it for you guys? Uh, you know, we actually um, got along quite well. Uh, we kind of respected each other's zones in the business, and mm-hmm. so if it was anything design related or rider decision type stuff, I really defaulted to Pete. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So there wasn't a lot of arguing, honestly, um, until later. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> What gave you the idea for the terra firma stuff? Well, I, I grew up, you know, being a as a kid, I, I skateboarded and and surfed, uh, and so um, I really got influenced. I got totally addicted to both of those sports for a time, and uh, would read all the magazines and um, watch the videos, and so I. Watching you know countless skate videos and countless surf videos, uh, one day it just hit me. I, I I said, man, we should do a motocross video. So mm-hmm. I I brought it up at dinner one one time, uh, and and you know Pete and and my my brother John was there. He was old enough to kind of be involved in the conversation of the business at the time, and and so we all decided to to give it a try. And uh, we knew nothing about you know how to how to make a video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> We we bought a super VHS camera and um, just started filming. And uh, John, uh, he had been kind of like me; he had been a couple years in college, and mm-hmm. he was eager to you know drop out and get involved in the business himself. And uh, so he he dropped out, I think, after his second year, and that was his first job at the business was 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 basically taking uh, <laughs> most of the footage we'd shot and editing it and finding, oh. you know, picking out the music. And, wow. And uh, I think he's even, he shot some of, I know he shot a lot of turf from two, but I think he shot some of turf from one as well. Um, so I, I shot the famous uh, <laughs> Donnie Schmidt on the frozen lake. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah how'd that That's come my ab- contribution. How'd that come about? Hey, Donnie, uh, Donnie's like, hey, I come, come, come to Minnesota in the dead of winter. Check this he, out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He said, I got this idea. Um, I want a part, you know, and I, and he described it to me. He says, I'm going to build a super cross track <laughs> on the frozen lake. So I, I, I couldn't believe him, but I went out there and sure enough, he had, he had whoops and, uh, um, a few jumps, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> uh, man, that was my first time I'd ever been 
in you know in someplace really cold in the middle of winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like what is going on here? Yeah. Um. So speaking of Donnie, sounds like you were close to him. Uh, pretty devastating to to hear the news of him passing away so young. I did a podcast uh, a year and a half, two years ago, where I just got a bunch of people who knew him to talk about him because I, I I was just a guy. I raced against him once when he was uh, in '89 when he was a privateer. He of course uh, I never saw him after the start, but um. Yeah, incredible, fun-loving guy, and and yeah, man, you must miss him every day. Yeah, he was one of the the riders that I was closest with. He was just, you know, he he wasn't like a superstar type of right. guy. He was just a, a, a really down to earth um, rider, and he he actually spent uh, when he was early in his career, he spent uh, a winter or two here in Northern California um, practicing with you know the NorCal guys and. Uh, so he spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time with him um, when he was here in the wintertime, getting ready for the season. And um, I visit. I actually went and visited him when when he went over to Europe mm-hmm. and raced Grand Prix. I flew over there and uh, and spent a week with him in Belgium. Um, and uh, I think I saw him race, but I know I, I watched him practice and yeah. we, we went mountain biking together and stuff. So yeah, yeah, great guy. Yeah, really, really seemed like a driven guy too. Like everyone that I did the podcast with talked about how much how hard he trained how much he practiced very very dedicated he was like what he ate you know everything yeah, very yeah. very he was super religious with his food was he and he has <laughs> yeah he you know he would have salad all the time and i remember he he was really smart with asking good questions you know like for example i remember him asking rick ryan uh how to get whole shots because you know, obviously ryan was was awesome at starts yeah and uh and you know rick you know spent time with him explaining it. And I, I remember all of a sudden Donnie started pulling whole shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like who would, who would think about asking this guy, right? That. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh it's a cool deal. So Terra Firma, very successful for you guys. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember when we, we, we made it, um, we mastered it and we, our first production run, we, we were, how many of these are we going to sell? So, mm-hmm. I guessed a thousand, so we we printed up a thousand copies, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just took off. And before we knew it, you know, we'd sold five thousand, then ten thousand, then twenty thousand, and and by the by the time um, Terraforma Two came out, we'd we'd sold forty thousand copies of that. No video. way, forty thousand. Yeah. Jeez, that's yeah, amazing for nineteen ninety five. Right, that's what I'm coffee. saying. Like, yeah, this was this was the day of you know not easily accessible, right? Like. No, it was it was really done as a marketing venture, you know, to try to you know, show our riders, um, and then uh, and then all of a sudden it made all this money. It was kind of crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> we weren't done. We we went out and bought bigger cameras and better editing equipment, and just got started on the next one. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hey, I guess we're in the film business now, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so. losing losing Bradshaw to Axel, losing RJ to JT in '89. Uh, kind of sucked, huh? I mean, again, guys, like you talked about RJ and being such a huge influence for the company, uh, and Pete covered some of this in his podcast, but yeah, it was one of those, you know, contract things, I guess, you know, didn't, didn't go right for either party. And it, it sounds like both sides wish they could have made it work, but that's business. Uh, Well, with Bradshaw, you're talking about Bradshaw, right? Well, RJ, no, I was talking more about RJ. Yeah. Oh, RJ. Well, RJ, what happened was, um, you know, he had a, We had him on a two-year deal. Um, we were paying him sixty-five thousand dollars a year. Yeah, crazy. Uh, and 
back then um, for the best rider in the world. Yeah. And uh, we, my dad actually gave him his uh, 57 Corvette as part of the contract signing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so his, when the contract was coming to an end, uh, we wanted to re-sign him, of course, for more money. But, but Rick got this incredible offer from Honda that he wanted to sign, but the, the, the offer included gear. So mm-hmm. he, he was going to be required to wear Honda line gear. Right. And our contract with him had this first right of refusal clause where if we would match any other gear offer that he might get, you know, as long, then he would stay with us. But so we said, well, hey, Rick, you got to, you know, ask Honda how much of that contract yeah. is for gear. Right. And of course, Honda wouldn't break it out. So <laughs> it got into a fight about yeah. that. And, um, yeah, it. it uh, but then, like, it, yeah, sometime he ends up in JT at the end of the day, while Stanton and everybody else has to wear Honda line. Yeah, yeah. yeah at the end, I, I forget exactly how he ended up in JT, but it, it's our relationship with with Rick soured at that point, and it, it was uh, it was really unfortunate because we had this great relationship with him, and and all of a sudden he was gone, and and I think he was he was mad at us for yep. for not letting him do what he wanted to do, what he thought was best for his career, and and course we didn't want to let him go so um you know i'm sure now if, if i had a beer with him it'd all be good but yeah um, yeah but at the time it was it was kind of bitter yeah and bradshaw like i said bradshaw told me the service that axo provided the number of the the amount of gear he got and the money that he got blew out blew the offer from fox away and again that's that's business yeah it's business i mean that there that was a situation where it was just a the offer we had that we had the opportunity to match it and and we couldn't afford to match it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. We were paying him twenty, and uh, Axel offered him one hundred and fifty. Yeah, so like we just, we just said sorry. Um, you know, we can't, we can't match that. <laughs> it's such a huge raise, right? It's such a massive raise, and and you guys are probably like, how is Hale selling this much gear? What's going on? <laughs> uh, you know, he was worth it in the end because uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, um, but yeah, the it's because we had our, in 1990 we had our two main guys were Bradshaw and Matasevich, yep. and and uh, and then all of a sudden they were both gone in '91 because Bradshaw went to yep. AXO and and uh, Chicken got a big offer from Taichi in Japan, and uh, <laughs> so he was. So the next thing you know, our best rider uh, was number twenty-seven, Ray Somo. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that, that was the big Robbie Renard campaigns then too. Robbie was. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know? even think Robbie was pro yet. No, that. no, I don't think so, he was either. But you guys yeah, were he was all like in fourteen or something. <laughs> we had to, we had to, you know, yep. use Robbie. <laughs> um, but it was an interesting strategy that you guys did. You pivoted and you started locking up some teams. You know, you were like, "Hey, we're going to do team deals." which wasn't something that you were pumped on with the Honda line deal, but I imagine it was out of necessity. You're like, well, we can start doing some teams. And, you know, this is Yamaha days and this is Honda days a few years after what we were talking about with Somo. But yeah, it was, that, was, you know, that, was quite, that was maybe five or six years later that that happened. Yeah. Really what, you know, it was a blessing in disguise to lose, uh, lose our team basically and have no, no really, you know, um, mm-hmm. marketable riders because – all of a sudden, um, it forced us to look elsewhere in the business where we could, um, you know, put our efforts and, and it was, that was really the time when I decided, okay, I'm going to start focusing on international sales mm-hmm. and, and let's start focusing on sourcing. You know, we've been getting all our gear made 
at the same factories everyone else was using over in Europe. Yep. And so Pete and I made a, a trip over to Korea um, about that time and started um, working on getting motocross pants uh, and gloves made in Korea as opposed to Europe. Um, how did we were, you How did you ever get a tip about Korea? Did that come from somewhere? Somebody? Do you remember? Yeah, there was my dad had a contact. Um, it's funny the, the guy at the, the guy's name's Hai Lee, and he's he's made more motocross gear than <laughs> anybody in the history of the sport. Yeah, um, and no one knows who he is. Yeah. And I don't think he's ever even been to a motocross race. Um, but yeah, we, we, we met him and, uh, and, you know, basically said, Hey, we, you know, can you start making you know, uh-huh. motocross pants for us? And he knew nothing about how to do it, but, uh, he had the passion. And so we went back and forth. And of course, it took, it took a while to, to get it dialed in because, um, you know, we didn't know about how to make patterns and what mm-hmm. kind of thread to use, et cetera. But yeah. it was, it was ultimately a big advantage for us. Um, at about that time, there was a, a book that came out. Um, I'm just going to. There was a book that came out called Swoosh. Uh, it was uh, the unauthorized biography of Nike. And in uh-huh. that book, there was, there was, there's a lot of, um, there's a cute couple chapters about how they did, they approached their sourcing in oh, Asia. Okay. Yeah. And so we took a tip from, I read that book like three times and, <laughs> and uh, Took it. Took tips from from that that book on how to how to get stuff made, and yeah. And not only was the you know of course the pricing out of Asia was better, but the the, the days of yeah. hey we're going to deliver it sometime in August. <laughs> uh, you know they they'd say it's going to it's going to deliver August fourteenth, and it would be on the boat August fourteenth every time. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting because. I was wearing both Fox and JT, and when you guys were made, made in Finland, and and JT stuff, you know John Gregory is an icon, but it never fit as good as your stuff. The the the, the Tijuana manufacturing or wherever it was was <laughs> never as good as your stuff. And then, what I'm guessing, let me guess here, Greg, um, the first year of sort of the Korean manufacturing, ooh. I'm, what year did the the, the uh, copper stuff come out? The copper image is that it? Was that yeah, that's it? See, yeah. see, um, you know why I know that because I wore the stuff and, that, and it fit like crap, huh? Yes, yes, it was, it was, it was the time where I was like, wait, what's changed here in Fox, right? Oh yeah, if you would have looked at the label, you would have figured it out. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I can I can picture that stuff now and being like, hey. This is not fitting like a fox pant, but no, but, no, it, it 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 took us a few, yep. couple of years to really get it dialed in, um, and so yeah, that not only the fit was was marginal, um, but also the quality was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it was delivered. To, but it was delivered on time. It was delivered on time. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. let me ask you this: so you, you're you've got this wave and you're riding it, and if you what were sales in let's say 1990? from 85 were they double i don't know whatever it was it was huge right uh in in, in f- five or six years that, that so that they were our sales uh, what year you're talking 1990 like let's go 85 to like 90 it was huge huge jump right actually not that not that big of a jump no actually. okay All right. um no it would have been maybe from you know in the 
in the early 80s, we were doing about $4 million a year in sales. And I think by the late 80s, it was it was uh, maybe five or six oh, okay. million. Yeah, right. We were pretty pretty small. Okay. So um, you lose some guys. You lose RJ. Part of that was okay. because we had made street gear. Um, that was actually – so 40% of our sales was street gear. We had a street team. Really? Uh, you know, the national champion, Fred Merkel, wore Fox. And I, I didn't know any Robert. of this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we had leather jackets and all that stuff. You know, first, kind of like what Alpine Stars does, yep. Yep. does now. And um, that was 40% of our sales. And I remember going to a couple street races and, you know, right after I dropped out of college. Mm-hmm. And, and I just didn't have the passion for it. And um, so, so Pete and I approached my dad and, and said, you know what, we want to drop out of the street stuff and put 100% of our focus on motocross. And uh, once again, he agreed. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, the, the, the motocross sales yeah. uh, grew, to, but uh, right. so we didn't go backwards. But yeah, that, that explains how we, we uh, even though we were selling a lot more motocross gear, our, to- our top line sales hadn't grown much. Yeah. Okay. So you grew this company. So you lose Bradshaw, you lose RJ, right? And as you said, you had Somo, you had, you had Debo, <laughs> Denny Stevenson, my buddy. Um, yep. You had, you know, that kind of guys, Renard was coming. Do sales drop down or or because of this new manufacturing, do sales pick up because uh, margins are better and all of that? Like, did you do this sort of because you're like, hey, we got to, we're losing riders. We don't have the top guys anymore. Um, sales didn't drop. Okay. They, uh, they they stayed about about flat um and i i'd say that part of that was uh you know we were just starting to get um the, the other areas of the business figured out okay. we started hiring our first sales reps um you know my dad had always had this this uh policy of no sales reps <laughs> um i don't know where that came yeah, from what, what, but, uh, <laughs> what happened why why that <laughs> yeah and so i i i um you know, I questioned that and convinced him to yep. uh, to give it a try. So we started hiring some. The other policy my dad had was he had a no credit policy. So we we would not give any dealers credit. Oh wow! It was COD yeah. only. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was another uh, area of the business that I convinced my dad to to to, to open change. Up. Yep. Yeah. And so we started offering dealers credit and and having sales reps service the dealers and and that started to. To make up for um, you know maybe the not having the top riders at that point, right? Yeah, it's it's an interesting pivot for you guys, and then you make a pivot back with Jeremy and these team deals, you know. So uh, it's it's kind of interesting to me to to correspond correlate the two the two parts of the business. Um, and you're getting, of course, now you got Lampson, you got uh, Doug Henry, you know McGrath's coming along, and things are now back to being you know having you know fifty percent of the top guys for you guys. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the some of our younger guys um, started you know, getting better and, and becoming pro, mm-hmm. and um, and Henry was a was a big deal. You know, Henry was uh, was an amateur that had just, or he was a, he was kind of a local pro yeah. in New England, and, yep. and uh, um, he, we had sponsored him, and then he he got that DGY deal and had to go where I think it was answer gear. Answer, yeah. Um, so I remember that phone call from Doug because he, he told me, he said, hey, I, I, this is the best thing for, for my career. Um, I got to do it. And I said, yeah, you do have to do it. Mm-hmm. And then and then he said, but if if I ever get a factory ride, you'll be the first guy I call. And I was. So Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, 
and then getting Jeremy was huge. There was another sort of like, hey, Fox is Fox is still Fox. This is the RJ of you know the mid nineties now. Yeah, that, I mean that era we was um, we we kind of had everybody yeah. <laughs> for a while there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole Yamaha and Honda team. It was uh, it was powerhouse for sure. Uh, one of the interesting things to me is a helmet. So you didn't get into the helmet game until late. I want to say it's like ninety nine. Was there? Was there a helmet that was scrapped before that uh, that was uh, not good enough, or was it something you guys just never wanted to dabble in? First, you know, honestly, we were we were always kind of scared of the liability side sure. of helmets, yep. um, and didn't know, you know, when we would meet with the insurance uh, you know, company every year to renew our insurance, they would always ask, "Do you sell helmets?" <laughs> <laughs> We'd say no. Yep. Um, so I, I always assumed that meant that we shouldn't sell helmets. <laughs> um, but eventually, uh, we actually, um, you know, we, we got that figured out, the, the insurance side of things. Was there something, so we talked about the Roost too. Just, is that the product that worked? Is that the one that, is there something else that worked for you guys that, that we missed out on? Was the Roost too just unbelievable for you? I mean that, like I said, that's the product. Yeah, that, that is it. Okay, that's yeah. I mean, obviously, there's other products that sold really well, but that that one was just for for about ten years there. It was just nonstop, and it was just a great product. Yeah, and we also a lot of pros back then wouldn't, you know, even now, you know, they won't wear chest protectors, and we we had most of our team wearing our roost too. I mean, RJ yeah. wore it, and chicken um, chicken wore, never chicken went without it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, that made a big difference too. And, and they weren't on the outside of the Jersey. So it, uh, you yep. know, it was on the cover of countless motocross actions and, um, and that really drove sales as well. On the flip side, what didn't work, Greg? What, what, what didn't <laughs> I think work? You already talked about the chameleon. Boot, yeah, we right? did talk about the chameleon. Is that the one that stands out? Uh, that one, that one's an abject failure for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, uh, I, I remember some BMX product that uh, my dad had made back in the seventies that, um, that I remember one day he, he, you know, I showed it to work and he said, okay, your job today is to throw all this in the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, just throwing boxes and boxes and boxes of brand new, yeah. you know, BMX gear in the dumpster. I'll never forget that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. The chameleon, not good. I had a pair not good, everybody. Stay away from those. If you see them on eBay, the, the logos fall <laughs> off and everything. Uh, you went from the comp, which was an amazing boot, to the chameleon. So, uh, neat idea, though. You could change the colors for your gear. Like, cool idea. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was, you know, a, a, a boot is a real technical product. It needs to, it needs to function. And that, that was a product that, yep. you know, it was, it was the, the, design side of it and how it would look right. uh, got in the way of the function. So how much are you in these years? Uh, how many trips to Europe are you making for distributors? How much are you trying to find new distributors? How, because I know from working with people in the industry now and, and actually I worked at parts unlimited for a year and like the European market is great, but the distributorship stuff is always a shaky deal. Um, how was it for you and, and trying to, and, you know, trying to find one and, and, and work with one and, and make it successful? That's one of the areas of the business that I really enjoyed. You was know, it? I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, my, my dad took Pete and I to Europe back when I was in, I was in seventh grade. He was in fifth, um, to, 
to go to some Grand Prix, and um, and then we went again uh, the next year. And so, at an early age, I, I felt comfortable being over in Europe. And uh, so, traveling over there on business never never scared me. And um, and you know, I was good at you know, I I, I could uh, when I would talk to distributors, mm-hmm. I would um, you know, I'm kind of a history buff, so I would be able to to connect with them on you know. Their, their their politics or wow okay or yeah, yeah. etc yeah. and so I, I really had this long-term vision of of uh di- finding distributors and and having them grow slowly with with us and and it wasn't some some companies had the the mentality of hey whoever give me the biggest order they're going to be yeah. my, my distributor this year yep. and so they yep. would flip through distributors year after year and be a new distributor every couple of years i never had that approach it was always hey i'm going to you're going to grow with us and, and we're going to develop a relationship. And so, um, yeah, over the years we ended up with our distributors became the top distributors in, in their respective countries. Yeah, I guess. So, right. Yeah. Because, and, and, you know, your, yours is sort of an anchor brand for these guys down the road. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, because that's gotta be a frustrating business for, but like, I guess you liked it. You enjoyed it. It worked out well. So. I did, and and my you know up until that point when I started doing it, my dad um, he just didn't pay attention to it. He, he <laughs> it's funny his his uh, approach. I remember his approach to a great market like Australia was he had he he told a, a distributor there just pay me two thousand dollars a month and you can do whatever you want with Fox in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> here's our vendors, here's our pricing. Just pay me two thousand dollars a month. Oh, that's funny. And, <laughs> um, yeah. And so I said, well, I'm going to go to Australia and I'm actually, cause my dad never went. Right. So I went down there and, you know, met with the distributor and then I met with a couple others and, and picked the one that I, I trusted the most and that I, <laughs> that I felt, uh, would respect our brand the most. And, right. And they're still, still our distributor today. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. How, yeah. Um, yeah, that would be a, an end of business. Also to forecasting. I don't know how you guys do it. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I'm tight with uh, my buddy Jason Thomas. He works at Fly in the sales end of things, and I forecasting a product and a success or of a product would be incredibly hard, especially a new product. I don't know how you guys would would do that. I, there's an art to that, I guess, right? Yeah, you have to look at uh, at past sales. Um, you know, that's the number one thing, and then and then. Uh, some of it is an art. It's a seat of the pants. You know, is this color going to be hot this year? Yep, I mean, yep. I remember when, you know, purple was red hot. And, uh, you know, who would have guessed that? But it was like the number one selling color one year was purple. So, um, you know, you miss, you miss some things. Uh-huh. But, uh, but when you get it right, um, you, can, you can sell a lot of units. What's- our, our industry doesn't have traditional... A lot of it's uh, an at once, you know, business where the the dealer, you know, they want to order it. They they don't want to give you an order, you know, months and months in advance. At yeah. least that's, you know, that that's changed somewhat. But yeah. Um, and and of course uh, nowadays, you know, these these gear companies have big, huge distributors, and you know they're set up for doing all that and and everything else. And you guys just never did that. You always, you know, handled all the orders right there and in. That has to be an undertaking within itself to deal with the shipping, deal with the warehousing, forecasting, and everything else. That was something that you were a specialist specialist at. Yeah, I had my my Excel models that I created. <laughs> you know, I remember, and I would watch them daily. Really? You know, I, huh? I, yeah. I, that's you know, 
I would look at reports all the time. And, you know, if you asked me, you know, what the best-selling uh, waist size of motocross pant was, you know, I could tell you the percentages, you know, I like, wow. you know, 32, 32 uh, waist. It's funny because I remember back when, when 32 inch waist was, was the number one selling in the country. And I think it's now it's like 36. Yeah, I would think so. I think we've gotten fatter as a country. <laughs> yeah. I, I can vouch for that. Um, yeah. So every day, this is stuff that you're looking at and grinding away at it and trying to do we have enough? Do we need more? What's the lead time? How do I get it? What's the color? Oh, look at this color is moving. This color is not, right? All of that. Exactly. Yeah, geez. Yeah. Like I said, that would be a, that, yeah, that's a, that's a stressful and a, a little bit of an art to it. You have to, you have to really like looking at numbers, and I do. So mm-hmm. I, I, I would, you know, invariably, if you would walk into my office back in that era, I would yep. be staring at a, at a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> and Pete would be, and Pete would be doodling. Yeah, Pete, yeah, would be Pete, drawing. Pete would be on the phone with RJ. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Girls. Hey, bro, you want to hit the waves? The waves are up, yeah. I hear. Let's, let's hit it. Uh, what, what, what did you learn from Pete, and what do you think he learned from you? How did you guys work off each other, uh, do you think, to grow this company into what it was? Well, that's an that's a interesting question. Yeah. The, you know, I, I because I did I, I did my homework designing. before this, so I did my homework and I called somebody about both of you. So uh, you know, I was yeah, I did some homework. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I would I would spend a lot of time in Pete's office. Actually, you know, his his office was uh, you know I'd probably be in there an hour or two a day, um, and you know I would listen in when he'd be talking to to James Stewart or or he'd mm-hmm. be talking to a magazine or whatever. I, I, I you know, he he had a really a, a gift at uh, at really knowing knowing the riders well and and connecting with them and uh, um you know trying trying new stuff with the gear making making sure that we were always progressing and uh, uh, yeah. yeah he didn't spend much time in my office <laughs> my office is boring he didn't pick up the Excel programs and start looking no up. no. <laughs> He's, yeah. He didn't come over and be like, hey, Greg, how are we doing on paw tectors today? No, 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 my office is where the nerds hung out. Right, right. <laughs> All um, the numbers guys and the computer guys and yep. the accountants. Uh, most successful year for Fox, uh, Do you? What, what era was that? What years were that? Do you, do you remember um, specifically? The Carmichael stuff? I mean, Jeremy? James, James. Uh, it was yeah. always, it was always all successful all those years. Yeah, I mean, I, it kind of. I mean, obviously, with Carmichael, the you know, we, every weekend was a win. Yeah. So that was. Uh, I remember telling myself, "Don't get used to this because this won't be forever." <laughs> uh, you know, but because um, it was, he was just so damn dominant. Yeah. Um, what a great guy, Ricky is. What what a uh, and I, I love talking to Beeks about this part, but when he when James and Ricky wore Fox, didn't like each other that much, had different gear guys. Oh, the times were great back then. <laughs> like, can you imagine the phone? Like, Pete was I guess Pete was uh, you know a little bit more uh, friends with James. You know, it's obviously all everyone was friends with each other, but. Man, that is a funny time in the company, right? That was a weird, yeah, exactly. They were not best friends, that's for sure. And, and you got this this winner, this older guy, and he's he's a heart, he's a hammerhead. And then you got this flashy kid, obviously African American, and and the next the next guy in the sport, right? 
Yeah. And so how do we market this? How do we talk about this? How do we sell this stuff? Who wears what? Oh God, I can imagine. <laughs> what what was what do you remember about that time? Uh I remember some conflicts for sure, um, between them. Um but uh you know the what do I remember that kind of drawing a blank on that honestly it it uh yeah it would have been it would have been interesting to to been a fly on the wall for a lot of those conversations yeah, um, Pete was really tight with 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 james um for you know especially in james the beginning of his career yeah you know, he would he would stay at pete's house and and uh you know they would you know james just lived and breathed motocross at that time yep um he so, would come out to so, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, it was interesting that earlier you said RJ was just the, the, the greatest seller, the greatest mover in motocross history. And you have McGrath, you had Ricky, you had James. And I love the respect <laughs> for RJ from you. I just, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I'll never forget. You know, I was at LA Coliseum at the Rodeal Cup. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When Ricky got on the mic. Um, <laughs> and, you know, th- that was just that. I think that encapsulated, you know, his ability to connect with the fans mm-hmm. and his personality, his, his, the marketability of his personality beyond just his skill on the motorcycle. Um, and of course, he's you know, stylish rider, good-looking guy, yep, and yep. Uh, um, and friendly. I mean, he was what every motocrosser wished they were. Yeah. Well, to me, I just I was Jeremy and the Fox stuff, and you know, ride red and 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 the the things you did with Jeremy and, and his popularity and his, his image and his look to me, I, you know, they're almost one of the same. If you think of their yeah, eras, I would right? agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. I don't want to diminish Jeremy's yeah. impact on a brand at all. I mean, it, it was, it was from the moment that, that ad Pete ran with Jeremy, just with a Fox hat on two page spread and MXA. I mean, that all of a sudden it was, that was the phones were ringing. Yep. And, um, uh, are you part of the decision to build the uh, headquarters down in SoCal? That was part of that? No. Uh, no. No? <laughs> no. Pete and I fought over that a little bit. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, I was, the, yeah, I've always been in, you know, born and raised and I wasn't born here, but grew up in NorCal. Yep. And, uh, and always felt like it was actually kind of a, competitive advantage of ours to be here um that having in, Mor- in morgan hill you know, people mm-hmm. um if you were a, a worked in the motocross industry and, and you lived in northern california we were it yeah and uh, so moving down there was you know you're kind of moving into the you know into the the, the main area of uh of the industry and uh-huh. it's a little more competitive so but i i think that on, in all honesty, the the main thing was I I was just trying to watch the watch the the spend on the on the the build out of the building because as you you've been in there right it's a really nice building. you know what I've never been in there I I need to get invited from Beaks or something I need to go down there uh, I've never have I've seen photos of it obviously but um it looks amazing it looks yeah it looks I'm, I'm a I'm a more conservative. Uh, when it comes to spending right. money than Pete, <laughs> Pete, Pete, that entrance alone is had to, had to run you run you quite a bit of money. It's gorgeous. It's yes, gorgeous it is. For sure. Um, any regrets? Any at all regrets? Uh, things that you wish you would have done, or things that you guys as a company should have done, or or anything like that? I mean, obviously, 
uh, keep RJ and keep Bradshaw, maybe two of them. But <laughs> besides that, <laughs> well, I did have regret at one point in the making of Fresno Smooth. Oh. <laughs> I was like, "What the hell did I do here?" <laughs> I know that that, oh. that is epic. By the way, uh, J Bone Jeremy Albrecht still can never get away from people yelling at him about white trash hookers and stuff. So oh it's, it's, it lives on to this day. That's a, that's a podcast in itself. Just the making of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I was so I had this idea. I I had you know big fan of a couple of movies. One a surf movie, The North Shore, and okay. the other is a ski movie called Hot Dog. Oh, I remember Hot Dog. Yeah, I remember you that. Do? Okay. Yeah. So both of those movies are you know they're kind of campy. Yep. Um, uh, they use you know they use their sport um, as kind of the 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 backdrop of the whole uh, movie. And so uh-huh. I was like, man, I want to do something like that with motocross. And so I hired this kid um, that was going to San Jose State named Adam Barker to take a crack at writing a script. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he came up with, Fresno Smooth. Oh, boy. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And so then I hired, then I had a guy, that, another kid from, from San Jose State, Troy Adamitis, yep. um, who I had hired a couple of years before to, to make a mountain bike movie for me. Um, and basically I told those two, I said, okay, you guys are going to do this and gave them a budget. And they just, they, they just ran with it to the point where it was, it was totally out of control. (laughs) (laughs) Like did they go way over budget too and everything? Way over budget took forever. And then of course, you know, they saw it as their opportunity to, (laughs) to make their, their mark in filmmaking. I, I can understand that. So they, uh, they were less concerned about you know, how it would reflect back on our brand. <laughs> <laughs> so I still remember when they, you know, that we did this little screening at the, at, the, at, at Fox, um, you know, the, the rough cut. And I still remember everyone's, everyone's face. Like they they looked at me like they just seen a ghost. Yeah. Like, like cause it was your, your, your idea, like, right? It's your, yeah. your brainchild. Oh, that's funny. Um, uh, and what about, Oh, what about, I didn't get into launching shift. Uh, interesting time to have, uh, you know, a, a brand come out as a competitor. No, but people, I still, I still get people who don't realize that Shift is owned by Fox. I cannot believe it. Um, so you guys did a good job of that, by the way. Um, but it was a neat deal, and of course, Fro, you know, won with it, and it was a different look than Fox and everything else. And interesting, it'd be like me starting another motocross media company. I, I, I don't know if I would, but cool, cool idea. Yeah, um, it was. I think Pete maybe touched on this. You know, it was um, kind of a uh, a few factors that really resulted in shift. One was uh, Pete want, wanted to sign um, Emig, and mm-hmm. and of course, um, you know, having uh, already having McGrath, it just wouldn't be right to put yep. Emig in, in Fox. Um, and then, in addition to that, uh, there was the whole freestyle motocross thing was was hitting at the time, and. And I had been pushing uh, to to make you know freestyle gear, some baggy gear. Were was, you really? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> made some prototype stuff and gave it to Metzger. Um, and so Pete Pete didn't want to do that. He said, "Hey, you know, we're we're a motocross brand, we're not a freestyle brand." And so he ultimately he came up with the idea. He said, "Well, if we do another brand, we could kind of kill two birds with one stone here." And uh, and that's what we did crazy that's how that started yeah like the, the, the amount of work in that i could imagine just be you know insane right like 
You're not, it was, yeah, yeah. He was designing both lines completely, him and, and Todd Covey. Uh, right. They were working like mad. And, um, uh, you know, and then we got, we got uh, Seth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Started wearing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah uh, it was those ads with Seth, too, by the way, were great. They were fantastic. I know. They were, huh? Oh, man. I just, it's just, it's interesting because that yeah, you didn't want to alienate the Moto guy to be like, oh, this company sucks. They sponsor these freestyle geeks, you know, because there was that whole image thing, right? But yet you guys played it off perfectly like, yeah, no, we're Fox. We're Fox. We have the hardcore motocrossers. Oh look, no, yeah. we also have freestyle guys. It's it's a real it's brilliant when you think about it. Yeah, you know, if you go back in time to when Krusty came out, Krusty mm-hmm. one and two. I mean, it was that that Krusty Demons of Dirt uh, is an incredible film, um, so well made, and and the impact that had on the industry at the time was it was big. You know, yeah, it, everybody watched that thing over and over again. <laughs> right? Yeah. So oh yeah. Word out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess that was where your market was like, hey, there's a market for this. These people that that do this kind of stuff need need gear. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. and Fro wasn't scared to to rock it at all. So freestyle stuff or whatever. <laughs> no, the, the shift stuff he wore in the Nationals. I think that was ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, was, it yeah. Was, I love that look. Oh yeah, the ninety eight yeah. look when he was number one with green and and white was clean. Man, it, yeah. looked, it looked really yeah. good. Or he had like snow camo pants yep. with a black jersey when it's like 110 degrees out at Noville. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It was it was fantastic that look. Uh, speaking of looks, what are your couple of your favorites? You mentioned the RJ86 look, you know, with the white sleeves and the blue. Uh, what are a couple of your stuff that you really like? Um, there was some, you know, I don't know what I would. I guess I would call it just by, you know, the gear that, that, uh, Ricky and James wore, um, in the mid two thousands, I thought it looked awesome. Um, it wasn't a print. It was just, uh, just really clean looking kind of, I guess, Nike-esque style. Um, looked awesome. Uh, that's when we started really upping our game with, with, um, the fit and, uh, little details uh-huh. we hired we, we it was pete's idea he, he got a some professional pattern makers in up until that point we we never really um we kind of let the factories figure out the fit and okay. we started doing the fit ourselves beforehand and telling them this is how it's supposed to fit mm-hmm. and uh really dialed it in and yeah, so that was some great stuff i loved the um of course that shift shift gear that emig wore yeah, yeah. looked good it, the Honda, the Fox Honda stuff that McGrath wore. Yeah. Um, there was like a yellow, I think it was yellow pants, and he would wear like a, maybe a red jersey with it. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It, it had really like, good. they didn't have a wing on it. I think the pants had the wing on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jeremy always looked good in whatever gear he wore. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, right? Just his riding style and his, yeah. I can't, on point. I can't believe that Santa Salo had him for a couple of years. What a coup that was by Raf Camp. I know. Huh? <laughs> hey, we're gonna give this rookie kid uh, some money and like whatever. He'll just wear our gear, you know. Like then he wins the Supercross title. I know. So, yeah, I remember that. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, presented by Maxis, Alpine Stars, and Slick Racing Products. 
hey, head to Racetech if you need some suspension work done, if you need your motor work done, if you got to get your suspension oil changed, look after your suspension so that it looks after you, all right? Pulp19 is the code to save with Racetech. Simply uh, go to Racetech, mention Pulp, and they'll give you a hell of a deal. Ben LeMay, Michael Essie, just a few racers out there using Racetech. So thanks to those guys for coming on board. Fly Racing, of course. Maxis, Alpine Stars, Slick Racing Products. All right, back to Greg Fox. I uh, myself, uh, I just I'm old school. The zebra stuff, the 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 one red, one blue, all of that, just so iconic, so so amazing. Chicken stuff. I would too. agree with yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, I, the, my favorite photo that was in our office, blown up big, was a photo of RJ and the one red, one blue leg pant at uh, 1986. Carlsbad, yep. when he was number twenty-five on the Honda, yep. he uh, just that looked so awesome. I mean, the funny thing is, he he wore that. And his pants were dirty. Oh, really? <laughs> and and uh, I said, Rick, don't you have any clean pants before the first moto? Yep. And he's like, No, <laughs> I didn't get to do laundry this week. I've been riding all week. Oh so. yeah, yeah. That's a funny story. And then later on, he put one blue boot, one red boot on, right? Like later on, um, that one, that photo he's wearing all white, I think. But that was even cooler, you know. You yeah, just- yeah. It was with the 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 front only uh, Roost two. Yeah, I think we called it the Roost three. Yeah, yep. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you and Pete did have some fights here and there and disagreements. Was it the was it the 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 office? Was that it, or was there another something else? Um, I think, uh, you know, some of it was the whole move to Southern California and well, you know, we, when, when the, the design and marketing side moved to Southern California and then Pete ultimately moved to Southern California, uh-huh. we, we didn't see each other every day and I wasn't in his office, you know, two right, hours right, a day. Right, right. And so we kind of, in a way, it was almost like we were running two different companies yeah, and, yeah. and, uh, it, it, that put a strain on it. And, um, and then I started actually, uh, working less. I actually wanted to just be on the board of directors and not, not work day to day. Yep. And so, um, you know, I would just see him at board of directors meetings and, uh, yeah. and critique what he was doing. And then he, of course, didn't like that. And I'd right. say, you know, this, you got to change this and this. And, well, you were, you were more of the business guy, right? And, and I think around this time, Pete had done mountain biking and Pete had done surf and, and, you know, Fox was getting, getting really really uh divested into different areas so you're probably like hey man <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's some of that yeah i mean the mountain the mountain bike thing was actually uh that was that was we started making mountain bike here way back in the early 90s oh yeah um and that was uh i think that was me and the guy named brian price who used to work for us um started that and um and Pete really never really paid much attention to it for many years. He start as as it grew and grew, he, he paid more attention to it. But mm-hmm. um, the the surf thing uh, was was kind of his idea. Same with Wake. Yep. Um, so yeah. um, it's it's interesting. I'm doing a story on No Fear. Uh, it'll be out soon. And like they reached a point where they grew this brand into this, you know, this amazing uh, lifestyle brand and everything else. And then Sir Wall took the moto stuff and we know what, what happened there, but they got to a point where, and it says in the story, like it became not cool anymore to wear no fear. It became because it was everywhere. And this is, this is a good thing because your sales are increasing and the company is successful. But as the, the Mark Simo or Simo told me, um, 
you know, became a point where it, it, no fear was everywhere and it, it maybe wasn't cool anymore. And I'm not saying that for Fox at all, but there is, there's a, there's got to be internal discussions and internal debate over what are we, where are we going with this? How do we do this? How do we keep it cool Foxhead, you know, RJ McGrath era? And how do we increase revenue and how do we, you know, become more successful? I, I don't know, Greg, how that works, but that's got to be a big source of discussion. And it was for the No Fear guys, it sounded like. Yeah, it was, it was a big, it's definitely a big, uh, for a while there was a big source of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, you, know, you can get big and you can be everywhere. Take Nike for example, yep. right? Yeah, um, and still be the premier brand as long as you make great product, um, you'll be respected. And um, so you know that was really the, yep. the discussions were, hey, you know, we got to keep making great product. And sometimes, some what you want to avoid, and Pete would always say this, is you want to avoid the sales guys making the decisions. Yeah, yeah, right. Because right. um, <laughs> the sales guys, yeah. you know, they just want to, they just want to make their commission, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there were there were some discussions about that for sure. Yeah, the no fear. One yeah. of the things they pointed to was they they went to, into all J C Penney's, you know, and they went into J C Penney's, and it wasn't something. It was something that was worked for a while, but then in the end, it came back to bite them. They thought, anyways, yeah. you know, um, and that's something you got to think about. And I, yeah, massive massive discussions. Um, so. How does the company get sold? How does that work? Obviously, you guys are, are the family's owners, everything else. Who decides that? Does the dad decide that? Does it, the money become so great that you, you have no choice? Do you guys say, we don't want to do this, but we have to? Is there is there a vote? Just, I, I don't know. Fill me in on how this goes, goes down as much as you can or as much as you want to. It was a family decision. Was it? Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, we were all... Uh, owners of the business mm-hmm. um, and so it was um, you know my dad my dad had completely retired and uh, my my sister who had worked in the business a number of years she was she was no longer working in the business same with my brother John mm-hmm. um, so it was really Pete and me and as I said I was just on the board of directors yeah, yeah. at that point and I I I toyed with moving to Southern California um, but then I ultimately decided not to um, and so I, you know, not move as the as the business basically was moving there. Yeah. I if, I either needed to, to move to Southern California or, or you know, remove myself from the business. Yeah. Um, and so those factors uh, played into it. And ultimately, Pete, you know, Pete had a he had his vision and he was running the business and he wanted to keep going. And and so the discussion was really came down to hey, Pete, why don't we, you know. Right now, we're your partners. Why don't yep. we find you some new partners so that um, wow. you can, yep. you know, go after your vision? And so, um, that's that's really what drove the decision to do that. That's got to be such a big decision and such a big thought and everything else. But then again, I look at it, Greg. You're you're you've been working at it. You've been grinding away since nine nine years old, <laughs> right? Like there's a little bit of that too, right? Where you're just like, yeah, there was for sure. Yeah, and the, you know the the uh, like I said, waking waking up at three in the morning thinking about business, <laughs> um, you know, gets old after a while. Um, and I had you know, and I had two bo- my wife and I had two boys that yeah. um, were I was I was really enjoying spending time with them. Sure, you know, they're they're only. 
there's only they're teenagers now and so now i realize that there's that window from mm-hmm. like seven until 14 <laughs> where they really like hanging out with you yeah yeah. Uh, yeah and i really so but yeah now they don't like hanging out with me anymore <laughs> yeah exactly now you're just old dad <laughs> yeah, right but, but yeah, yeah. We, we just went snowboarding up in canada last week yep and, and they were just every time i would like you know, ski up to them, they'd be like, Dad, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Scram, Dad. Scram. Yeah. Um, what was the coolest trip you took, uh, either for filming or, or for something else? You mentioned going to some nationals and all that. What was the coolest trip you took for work? Quote, unquote, oh, work. Man. I had a lot of fun trips, uh, you know, trips to, to Daytona, you know, for spring break, um, trips to, to uh, uh, well, I remember one going to, to Europe with, uh, with Pete and Tommy Rios, um, mm-hmm. you know, looking for new, new vendors. And, you know, of course we find ourselves in Bangkok <laughs> at two in the morning, you know, it sounds like guys. the movie hangover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, um, just, just one hey. sec. Um, the, uh, Acapulco Supercross. That oh, was a yeah. Fun time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, a nonstop party. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Mickey Diamond, I think, was the, the defending champion of the Acapulco Supercross still to this day. So. No, no, he he didn't win. Oh, it, I thought he won. No. Oh, no, Chicken won it, I thought. Oh, okay. I don't know. Chicken. Yeah. Uh, we'll ask Chicken. I'm sure he doesn't remember yeah. to this day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He pulled into Anaheim 1 this year. Anaheim 1 pits with a Lambo. And everyone's like, what are you doing, chicken? What are you doing? It's just chicken. It's chicken's world, That's though. That's his style. Right, right. <laughs> he, sure. He's still the same guy, by the way. Like, he is amazing. Um, well, cool, man. Uh, thank you for doing this. The Fly Racing, by the way, Racer X Podcast. Sorry to throw that plug in there, but it is the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast. Um, great stories. Uh, incredible company that you and your family have built. And, uh, yeah, just one that keeps on trucking still to this day. Uh, Austin Forkner, Adam Cincerillo, of course, just uh, rocking it with with Fly right now, and uh, and many others. So, um, yeah, thanks for the time, Greg. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was fun, it was, and I look forward to meeting you at another race someday. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep in touch. Love to do it for sure. Um, and uh, sounds good. Thank you for your time. Okay, thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbet is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing. He's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much 
better nowadays than they were in those days. They're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the-